Uh, today we're talking to Giovanna Jenkins. Um, she's a soul and blues uh, singer. Uh, yeah, she sang a lot of gospel as well. <coughs> and she also, um, I don't know, I don't remember exactly how she said it. She communicates both with either singing or, or words uh, talking. Um, so she's, yeah, basically she helps students in, in uh, an American university in Prague um, preparing for becoming students and preparing for a career, um, teaching kids how to study. For example, I struggled a lot with this uh, when I went to university, and, and I wish I would have had someone like Giovanna to help me. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yeah, then she helps uh, CEOs and, and companies with their communication. Um, there's a lot of stuff going on with you know diversity and, and uh, yeah inclusion and all these topics that that require different things from companies than maybe in the past. So she told me a little bit about this um, and about her story. She's born in Philadelphia in the U.S., uh, went to a Christian school, church every Sunday, um, and very interesting motivation that she had for that. Um, she left then the States, went to South Korea, uh, stayed there for four years, had a good life, was a university professor there, and then she ended up in Prague with a a little stopover in Siberia, and uh, has been here for 23 years, um, doing what she does, plus singing. Uh, she's actually going on a tour now, so check her page. Uh, if you're in Prague or in the Czech Republic, check her page, juwanajenkins.com, for the tour information. And the tour starts in the beginning of February, I think the 1st of February or something. So so check that out. Uh, we talked about the blues music and what inspires her songwriting and lyrics and... Uh, how life is in Prague, what she thinks of the U.S., is there a real freedom here or is there better freedom in the U.S.? Um, that was a lot of different things. And we talked about mace. Um, when, yeah, mace is that spray that you spray on bad people that are to, trying to do bad things to you. So she has or had one of those and told me that story. Um, I think that's, yeah, that kind of captures the whole thing. It was a little bit all over, but... Uh, Nice talk. Giovanna is a really nice person. Very interesting. I think I will yeah, I'll try to get her back on my podcast later on some other things. Uh, the sponsors, guys, that's Alfred.cz, Alfred Jobs in the App Store. Uh, that's an app and a web page where you can find thousands of jobs from different industries in the Czech Republic and Slovakia. Alfred is also in Iceland and Malta, but that's Alfred.is and Alfred.com.mt for Malta. And uh, yeah, you, you basically, it saves you a lot of time. You can set up a profile and a job board so you see only the jobs that are interesting to you and you can apply with one click. You're anonymous, it's free. You couldn't ask for more. You can you can be sitting in the toilet applying for a job um, and you don't need to you know browse through thousands of different jobs that have no relevance to you. And then um, the old bar, the old bar Prague, Cypher 21 in Shishkov, uh, there are people, it's really, really interesting what's happening in the old part now. There are people from all over the world coming in, and when they're asked why, and well, it's one of the destinations you should visit in Prague. So people are coming for three, four days to Prague, and the old part is one of the destinations. That's really, really cool. It's a two-year-old place, sells oatmeal, skier, um, great atmosphere, um, no nasty ingredients, tasty and nice staff, Great coffee. I don't know what to say. Sometimes the music is great when I go there. Not always. And yeah, uh, available also on delivery. 
uh, takeaway delivery. It's a small place. Don't expect to be sitting there for hours. It's not a place like that. It's a place where you go in and you eat something quickly and then you leave. Uh, but available also on takeaway or delivery, sorry, on Vault and Bolt in Prague. Check that out, guys. Enjoy. When I want to scream and yell When I'm hot and mad as hell When I want to scream and shout When I want to take you So you got the, it sounds good? Yeah, we're recording now, so it's All right, out. okay. Yeah. <laughs> Hi. Hi. How are you? I'm pretty good. Yeah. You're happy to be here. Yeah, me too. I'm happy to have you here. We tried, this is the third time we tried to record. Um, in the meantime, I got sick, actually, twice. Strange. But we say third time is the charm, yeah. so it was meant to be. And and how do I say your name? Giovanna Jenkins. Joanna. So it's it kind of sounds like Joanna, but... Kind of. Yeah, but it's actually really said the way it's spelled, J-U-W-A-N-A, uh-huh. so it's Joanna. Uh-huh. And mm-hmm. where is that name from? My father's imagination. Yeah? He just thought it up. It was the 70s. People are really proud of their African roots, and so there are a lot of Joanna, Shawana, Luana, Tawana. Uh-huh. I'm in that group. Yeah. And, w- and which African roots for that? It was just the 70s, and there was black pride and uh, black power, and it was that expression. I'm the firstborn uh-huh. of three girls, and I'm Joanna Elizabeth Michelle. Uh-huh. So more traditional names in the middle, honoring my aunt and my grandmother and my godmother, and then Joanna just, yeah, that's a good actually combination. So up front, it's untraditional, but in the middle, in between, it's actually very rooted yeah, in yeah, history. Yeah, exactly. It's a very yeah. schizophrenic name. A it's way. a very diverse name. Yeah. It cover. It's got. Mu- it's a multifaceted name. Yeah, mm-hmm. and you. Well, I found you as a singer, but then I found mm-hmm. out that you're much more than just a singer. Yeah, um, and uh, I kind of discovered you. Yeah, I just kind of discovered you on a YouTube mm-hmm. video, and then actually I I I spoke at some sort of a event that uh, what's it called the University of of. New York, no, New York. What's it called? The university there. I spoke at this um, uh, Future Females. Uh, oh something. yeah, University of New York in Prague. That's yeah. where I'm on faculty. And you were there. Really? Yes. Re- oh yeah, I remember that. Yeah, yeah. You gave some great stuff. It was really interesting. Yeah, thank you. Hi. Yes, I loved nice your to comments. Meet you. Hi, it's you. Yeah. Oh yeah, really insightful commentary. Really enjoyed that. For for listeners. Uh, this is this. See, Giovanna is now probably referring to the only five minutes that I made sense in the last twelve months. Uh-huh. So I had my shining moment there, you know. Yeah. But yeah, I remember. And then I saw your name. I said, "Oh, this is that singer. What the fuck is she doing at, at school?" <laughs> so what are you? What do you do? Oh my goodness. Well, I always like to explain by saying that I communicate with or without music. So when I communicate with music, I perform the music that I've written, that I perform with my own band or bands around Europe. I perform blues, soul, gospel, inspired, influenced music. Mm. And then when I'm not uh, communicating with music, then I am teaching at the University of New York in Prague, where I teach introduction university studies as well as professional development. And when I'm not at the University of New York in Prague, I am doing corporate training or corporate coaching. And at the University of New York in Prague right now, I'm actually a part of an inaugural program 
where we have coaching along with our MBA program. Mm -hmm. And I'm providing the coaching for the MBA cohort of 2021. And how, so when you, well, there are a few things in this that um, uh, I was curious about. Like, so, so you, you teach people, or part of the stuff that you teach is how to get ready for university. Exactly, yeah. Part of what I teach, yeah. And how, because I, I went to university completely unprepared, and the jump from, uh, we have a high school, I, I don't know what this, or gymnasium in, in Iceland, you know, when it was, so you go when you're 16 until you're 20. Yes. And, and, and that school is very much about just getting you through, and mm-hmm. the teachers are very supportive, and they just want you to graduate because they don't want to see you again. And then you go to university and no one gives a shit. You don't have to show up. You don't have to, no one checks if your attendance and no one really cares if you pass or not. Mm-hmm. So I was, I was stranded. I was really like uh, lost because I didn't know how to do homework. I had always just, I actually left my books at school in, in, in gymnasium because I, I just tried to use the classes, you know. So do people need to be taught how to go to school? I teach at a university that has 64 different nationalities Mm. and they're working to get an American degree. Uh And so the academic traditions are very, very different. Uh And Empire State College, which is a part of the State University of New York system, Mm. has actually requested the University of New York in Prague to have a freshman seminar, as it's called in the States, for the incoming freshmen who have not already gone to another university. Mm-hmm. So they need to understand the difference between being a high school student yeah. where you see the same instructor for the same subject Monday through Friday yeah. and they're in direct contact with your parents and you'll get in trouble if you haven't done your homework. Yeah. And the university where it is, you're an adult, you mm. chose to be here. Yeah. If you want results, it's up to you. Mm. I'm here to help you as much or as little as you want. Mm. And but that's so a big change just exactly, over a summer because from exactly. one summer you're certainly a grown-up, you know? Absolutely. Mm. And so my whole thing is you don't know what you don't know. Mm. And so my role is to act as someone who helps them in the transition. And that's mm. really what I feel that my calling is in terms of the work that I do. I help guide people in transition. And the Lord knows the blues is a place of transition. Yeah. So the thing is, is that Based on my life abroad, 27 years abroad, Mm. three different continents, the United States, Asia, and the Czech Republic. Mm. I've had my own company since 2001. Mm. I've been a sole proprietor since 2005, and I work internationally. So what things remain true and constant throughout my experience, regardless of how old I am, what country I'm in, what uh, field I'm in? Mm. And I teach my students the things that they will need, they will need for life that will be tested in university, mm-hmm. time management, stress management, learning from failure. All those things that you and I wish somebody had taught us mm. is what I teach my students. Mm. And I teach them how to apply those concepts for their first semester And in the third week out of 15, I teach them time management. But it's not until week 14 where they go, oh, I made a schedule. You know, welcome Mm -hmm. to being an adult. Mm -hmm. You have the answer in front of you, but it's before you know that you need it. And there's someone there who says, here's a tool. You're going to need this. Yeah, yeah. Put it in your pocket. 
so mm, that when yeah. it's time for you to cross that river, you have it. Exactly. Exactly. So that's what I do with the first year, first semester freshmen. And then I also teach a professional development course mm. because being a successful university graduate is not the same as being a successful professional. No. And a lot of our students come from entrepreneurial families. And so they're thinking, oh, I want to start my own business or I want to be a director. And there's a difference between want, you know very well, between wanting to do it and I'm having sure, yeah. the skill set mm. and having the mindset mm. of someone who's able to do it. Mm. So looking deep inside and asking, what am I really good at? Mm. Not what mommy and daddy want me to do mm. and be, but who do I choose to be in life and who has already done that who can guide and direct me? Mm. And one of the joys of my work as a university professor is putting my hands up like I do as a coach and saying, I don't have the answers. But if I were looking for answers, these are the tools I would use. Yeah, I give them to you. So you guide them to the to find out Absolutely. themselves somehow. Yes, but, yes, yes. But on on this, like, um, uh, yeah. But I I had no clue that you do all this. But uh, I wish I would have met you when I was twenty <laughs> because then you could have guided me a little bit. But but um, thinking about it now, like when you say it, so so you have sixty four. You know twenty. 64, 64 different, different nationalities. nationalities. So, so we must assume that those are kids that come from families that are relatively well off. Relatively. Because they can be sent, yes. Yeah, because they can be sent to a foreign country to study. And it's actually interesting that Prague has such a multinational education right. institution. I, I didn't know that either. Uh, but there's a lot of stuff that I don't know. And... Um, uh, then I'm thinking, I, I, I just put myself in those shoes. If I, w if I would be like an 18-year-old or a 20-year-old, then I would be sent, and my parents would have sent me. I mean, they would never have afforded it, but if they would send me somewhere, there would be an enormous pressure on me to first of all finish it, and secondly, get a fucking job. So aren't these kids under too much pressure when, when you know, like, they, they come unprepared, into a new country where they have to adapt to a new country, learn how to be in school, learn how to learn, learn how to plan, learn how to be organized, learn how to be disciplined. Right. And then there is someone at home that they know is going to be on their back. How is it going? Are you, are you going to graduate, you know? And then you need to get a job. That's the way I was raised, except I did not have to go abroad to do it. Mm -hmm. I did decide to do a semester abroad, but... These are students who are being sent to an American university mm. here in the heart of Europe. So you have some sort of comfort to it. And we've seen an incre incredible, tremendous increase of the number of, let's say, Czech and Slovak students mm. who are coming to the school, regional students, because it's a strategically good place to get an American degree while staying on the continent, mm -hmm. particularly in these turbulent times. And that maybe puts it, makes the pressure a little bit less than if you would be sent all the way to the States. Could be. Mm. So there no, were I'm some just, people who wanted to go to Australia who yeah, yeah. went, oh, I can't go. Yeah. So, you know, no, I'm this just is curious the best about option. this because it's with, with uh, family always wants something back. They, don't, they never give anything for free. They, then you're supposed to be a good boy or a good girl or whatever, you know? But the thing is, if they've been that way all their lives, it's all they know. Yeah. So That's it's true. the same. Parents don't suddenly develop this when they leave high school. Oh, That's no. always it's been, been there. there the whole exactly. Time. Yeah, so true. they're probably used to it by yeah. now. Uh, and 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 for the corporate, so so you you you're helping management. Yeah. Um, what do you help them with? I mean, like, what what's a typical engagement for you? 
A typical engagement for me is, for example, interpersonal communication. Mm -hmm. Having a better understanding of who I am and how I function and what my goals and my priorities are so I can communicate that to other people. Mm -hmm. So that I can communicate that to my team, so I can communicate it to my clients, so I can work more effectively in the workplace. Right now, with COVID, I'm actually uh, getting together a new workshop for Franklin Covey, with whom I also do work. Franklin Covey is best known for the work of Stephen Covey, who has the seven habits of highly effective people. Mm -hmm. And so, for example, working on a workshop for change. I also did a webinar with them for uh, unconscious bias, diversity and inclusion. I've moderated workshops on uh, privilege and intersectionality for um large multinational multinational companies. I've also done a workshop on motivation. So it's really having a better understanding of who you are mm. so that you can share that with the world and connect with like-minded people. And also, most importantly, respect people who are completely opposite of you mm. because they're as authentically themselves as you are. And if you can realize how you can learn from them and harness their strengths to capitalize, to be mm. able to learn and work with people who are like you, mm. but more importantly, with the people who are not like you. Mm. I think that's very often a challenge in business. You mm -hmm. know, like me, in my career, I, I think um, uh, I was lucky enough to to relocate to Denmark and take take a job there, and then I had jobs or a job here, or yeah, some jobs here as well, and I had a lot of jobs in Iceland. But I, I think actually, what you're saying is that I, I felt that when I was in Iceland, I wanted people like me. I wanted to be surrounded by people like me because that's the only thing that I knew. Then when I came to Denmark, and obviously there I also went into a bigger business, so there was maybe more space for a little bit more differences. But there actually I started realizing that, you know, I grow by having people around me that are different from me and better than me and and, and I have skills that I'm missing. And uh, But I think it's... I don't know how how you how it is in you. I mean, you've been doing this for a long time, so I mean, you've seen a lot of things. But I really often get the feeling that management or top management, and especially men, I feel it less with women. Um, the pride is fucking with them, and uh, I think they said this in in what's the movie with uh, Bruce Willis and and Quentin Tarantino and and uh, Kill No, ah, not Kill but Pulp Fiction. Oh, okay, yeah. When the boxer, yeah, they said this, when you lie there on the floor after losing that, they were fixing a box match, mm -hmm. and then they said, you know, it's, don't listen to that voice, it's your pride fucking with you. But I think that's the biggest problem of, of male top managers is, is, is pride, because I think we, and I don't think it's only in, in jobs, I think it's also often in relationships, you know, if, if, if your girlfriend is seeking something else, um, I don't know, wants to do have a hobby that you don't fit in or you don't want to be part of or whatever. Uh, it often feels like, oh, I'm not I'm not in, I'm I'm incomplete. I'm not I'm I'm not able to make this girl happy. Mm -hmm. And the same in companies. If if someone else shines, I must be gray then. You know, I'm not right. going to be able to shine with that person. Is that am I describing something that you have smelled somewhere? Well, I always 
really enjoy talking to men. I really enjoy that mm-hmm. different perspective. So I've never heard it described that way. And I really appreciate getting that perspective mm-hmm. as someone who likes to talk about diversity, inclusion and intersectionality. Mm-hmm. I have heard it described in terms of the dominance hierarchy and fighting for one's position in the pecking order. Mm-hmm. And so that desire to shine would be correlating with my idea of the one who wants to come out as top dog and that fight to the top and for survival of the fittest. So that corresponds to what my perspective has been from the research that I've looked into from your own personal male perspective and how you would express it. Um, I really like hearing that perspective of, oh, I can't make my girlfriend happy. I've heard that so many times, but I never made that connection to I want to shine. At the end of the day, when you want to play, I know place. I think it's uh, men are, are the most insecure creatures on earth. And unfortunately, women don't understand that. No. And that's the problem. Yes. That's one of the problems, I, the many I, problems. I, I agree. Is not understanding men. Yeah. And uh, But on the other hand, when I, and this packing order that you mentioned, this hierarchy, uh, what, I, what I really like about that part, though, is that um, it's very easy for multiple dominant males to coexist. They will find some order mm-hmm. and it's usually sorted out really, really quickly. Yes. Um, or this is this is my experience that it's, yeah, it's sorted out quite early on. Okay, so how is the order here? And you kind of know. Right. Um, and it doesn't mean that, that someone who is seventh place is put down or anything like that, but no. it's, it, you know. Uh, with women, I have always found this more complicated because the lines are usually... Um, and it's harder, I think, for multiple dominant women to work together. Then I, I feel that they have a harder time kind of settling this into some sort of a hierarchy. Right. Um, from my perspective, I've got two points when it comes to men and talking about finding their pecking order. I think men are known for that famous scenario of you have a fight and the next thing you know, you're having a beer. It's all been settled mm. and women taking much longer to get it out. Even oh. when we talk about communication between men and women, and I've been guilty of it myself, you know, bringing up something from three years ago because finally I can talk about it. That reminds me. Um, fortunately, I don't do that anymore, but I've been there. And so my point is, is that in that fight for dominance, I think that's where that whole ocean 11, oceans 11 team things come out mm. because one guy is the money man. The other guys, the strategy yeah, yeah, man. Yeah, yeah. So they're all they all have their place of dominance for their domain. Yeah. And they can fit together like knights of the round table. Exactly. Whereas women, I think, but I also think it's a matter of maturity for both sexes. Mm. I have been in the presence of strong, powerful women who are able to nurture and uplift and be inspiring and motivating. And they're just not petty. They just don't have time for it. Mm. But a less mature, a less experienced woman would not use her feminine power to bring people together and uplift them. And Mm. it happens. Mm. But we've got examples of immaturity for both sexes. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And I mean, and and I I I think that um, I mean I, I I often take this example in. In Iceland, it, I think it was a game changer for us there when, when in I think it was 1979 or something, there was this all-female political party that came 
and they they were small, you know, but they got maybe two three members out of sixty in parliament. They had maybe a support of like five percent of the votes, but they they took topics like you know equal income, um, uh, what's it called, maternity leaves, and and those basic things that we consider in in Iceland and Scandinavia basic today, um, and they fought for all these things, and they actually had an influence way be uh, way beyond um, their support because the other parties realized that these women were speaking to 50% of the voters and they were speaking about things that actually mattered to 50% of the voters. So they understood, okay, if we don't adopt some of these p- into our policies, we're just gonna, they, they're just going to win. And, um, uh, and since then, I think uh, we have seen a lot of positive changes in, in the society. I mean, I don't. I don't agree with uh, personally. I don't agree with forcing with law that half of the staff has to be this or that. I don't. I don't. I don't think it's right. And I think there are certain industries where women are better than men and men are better than women and so on. But um, I, on the other hand, I also do realize that uh, most of the bad stuff that has happened in the world has been decisions of men, at least in the last hundred, two hundred years. And I think that's that's where where I feel women are stronger than men. That when when we get into those rooms, even if we have a packing order and everything, we can spin each other up to some crazy stuff, and that becomes there's a lot of show off. Whereas I feel that women stay more true to okay, does this make sense? You know. That was a conversation that was a part of the last conference that I was at with future females, and it was that statement of okay. When men get together, the what do you do? How much do you do? Really mm-hmm. establishing how successful they are so they can establish some sort of ranking so it can be established how who's going to follow whose lead. Mm-hmm. And whereas one of the panelists said, you know, we just want to get past this. We came for a meeting to come to a decision. Can we just start the yeah. work yeah. as compared to talking about all of our past accolades? Yeah, yeah. yeah. exactly. Um, so, uh, I don't know, I mean, why, why this, why, why school and coaching, what, what, what is it about that, that you like? Well, the thing about it is, is that I started singing in gospel choir on Sundays because I was told that if I was too sick to go to church on Sunday, I was too sick to go anyplace else for the rest of the week. (laughs) So that's how I was raised. And I went to a Christian school Monday through Friday and all day, all day on church on Sunday. So music and singing was just a part of my life. Mm. But it wasn't my main thing that I did. I was a student. I studied, but music was always there. Mm. And then I studied journalism. I studied journalism was my major and it was women's studies, theater and French. Mm -hmm. And I graduated in January 93. And by February, I had been awarded a Fulbright fellowship. Mm -hmm. And my Fulbright was for teaching English in Seoul, South Korea. Uh And that's when I started teaching back in 1994, Seoul, South Korea, before I ever came to the Czech Republic. Uh And I had continued doing theater while I was in Korea. And I was even doing TV while I was in um, Korea. And I loved teaching. I am in love with seeing the light go on in somebody's eyes. I Mm -hmm. am in love with creating the aha moment. What can I say or what can I do that the light goes on somebody's eyes and they get it? Mm. Because I love learning. 
education is the most powerful, amazing, magical thing in the world to me. When I think of education, I imagine having a boulder in the road. And then when I learn something new, like magic, the boulder disappears. Mm. And the road is absolutely free. Mm. And the boulder was only there in my mind. What was blocking and stopping me was in my mind all the time. Mm. And I changed my mind and my whole world shifted. Mm. And to create that for somebody else, whether they're in university or whether they've started a new position in a company or whether they're a new manager or they're working as a part of a management board for an international car concern, to be able to create that aha moment shift. Mm. It's, it's very humbling. It's very exciting. It's very fulfilling and it's very rewarding. Mm. And so that is a compensation that is unlike any other in my world. Mm. It gives me very much meaning and purpose and fulfillment and that's what I did from 1994 until 1998 when I moved here. I was teaching at a secondary language school that no longer exists. I was teaching post-matoritni, uh, so that po-matoritni, which would be the high school students who didn't get into university. I was mm. teaching them for the FCE, uh, first certificate of English, and then also for the Cambridge Advanced um, uh, Test of English. And then I was also teaching managing directors of publishing companies mm -hmm. so that was with whom i was working and then after four years in korea two years in the czech republic i just i need something different and so i went into the destination management company and within four years i went from being an employee to being an a part owner in the company and having 33 destination management mm, so you have a company and mm. you want to reward your clients mm. or your employees by taking them some someplace fancy. Mm -hmm. So let's say that if you, like my clients, were based in Canada and you wanted to come for a weekend in Prague, mm -hmm. you would need somebody to handle everything from the moment that you arrive. Hotels, transfers, guides, restaurants, tours, all of it. That's mm -hmm. what I did. Mm -hmm. So I went from being a senior teacher at a language school to being a project manager at a management destination management company that did meetings, incentives, congresses, and events, to being the managing director in four years' time. Uh -huh. And then I just went, oh, man, it just wasn't for me. I loved the food and the music and the gala, and I love Prague. It was love at first sight. But it was missing that aha moment. Mm -hmm. It was missing that having a real meaning and impact in people's lives. I remember writing an email for months about the welcome drink. Yeah. It doesn't. About the Becca yeah. Rothka? Yeah. Really? Yeah. Really? Yeah. That so doesn't really trigger anything. No. Oh. So I sold my shares in the company and I took some time off and then. A friend who was teaching at the University of York in Prague asked me to do a guest lecture. And then I was asked to teach the professional development course, and that was 15 years ago. Uh -huh. Yeah. And so when I teach Introduction University Studies, I teach everybody. There were 213 freshmen. I taught 200 of them uh -huh. this semester. That's a lot of people. Isn't it, though? So but, I but, know them all. But <laughs> what's the, so you say it's rewarding for you yes. to, to, to help people coming to this aha moment. Yes. I mean, um, is that from church? Thank you for making that connection. I didn't even see that, but probably mm -hmm. that's what I had. I mean, I mean, do good, don't do others. Oh, well, it's, when you say that, I had come to a different aha moment myself, so thank you. I mm. relish getting those as well as giving those. The thing about it is, is that 
there's supposed to be in church a sermon that leads you to have a different perspective on life, that gives you enough of an uplifting experience to last you until the next sermon. Mm. That, depending on some churches, that might be from Sunday to Sunday, or if like Baptists like me, that might be from Sunday, and then there might be something on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. Mm -hmm. Um, But the thing is, is that there is supposed to be a transformational moment that happens each Sunday. Mm-hmm. And it's not just a sermon. From the moment you start, from the welcome to the benediction, when they end, the music, you know, the whole ritual is supposed to be a sublime yeah, awake, experience. Awake something in you. Yeah. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. And that's what is a part of my heritage. It's a part of my culture. It's what I still bring with me. I don't go to church, but I very much in my music want to provide people with that experience because mm. I know how how sustaining that is. Mm. And I literally just, um, I sent a video message to my mother yesterday after finishing the semester and I just said, you know, a number of things that I had grown up hearing and now 49 years later, I was saying that to myself halfway around the world because those are things that I was taught Monday through Friday and mm. was said on Sunday that sustain me now mm-hmm. through COVID, through hard times, through good times. These are words that keep me. And that's what I want to give to others. What's something that is memorable that can sustain and keep people, whether the time is good or bad. Mm-hmm. And if I add music to it mm-hmm. and I put it in a chorus, then it repeats again and again and again. Mm-hmm. And when it's really good, it can be there on a good day and it makes sense. And it can be there on a bad day. And it helps you out. And so whether I do that on stage or whether I do that in the classroom or I do that in the boardroom or I do that in a coaching setting, mm. that is a part of my heritage that I want to pass on to other people. Mm. But what, what, so you're born in Philadelphia, right? Mm-hmm. I, I was there once. It was uh, actually a very nice city. Um, but I, yeah, I didn't spend a long time there, but... Um, was that like a good place to live in or, you know, be a kid? What kind of city is Philadelphia to be a kid in? Oh, my 40 goodness. 40-something years ago. Yeah. My parents grew up on a rougher part of Philadelphia, so mm. my father was very determined to keep his connection with his mother. He, it, My grandmother was a widow with five kids back in the 60s. And so it was very hard for my father growing up. And mm-hmm. he actually grew up literally around the corner from my mother. And they went to the same elementary school at the end of the street. And so my grand, my father was determined to keep those roots. And so we would travel from one end of the city to the other to see my grandparents who were right around the corner from each other. And we met at church. Mm-hmm. And I would sit next to my father's mother in a church and that's when we saw each other and then after church we would spend some time and that was it for the week and I saw what life was like where my parents came from and I saw the part of Philadelphia that we moved to and the very stark differences Mm -hmm. and the private Christian school that I went to outside of Philadelphia which was even more different still Mm. than where I was raised So I got that perspective until eighth grade. And then I went to Central High School in Philadelphia where Will Smith also went. He was probably, I want to say, two or four years 
in front of me. Mm. But it was the premier school for high school of the public schools. And so we had everybody there because it was the main school mm. for students who wanted to excel and go on beyond um, high school into some type of top-rated university. So I grew up having best friends in a totally different part of the city where the majority of people were Jewish. Mm -hmm. And so I would go to that part of the city to hang out with my friends who were all in the academically gifted program. And there he was... One was two were Jewish, one was Chinese, Chinese immigrant first generation who won the Shakespeare Prize. Mm -hmm. And another one was Chinese, one was Filipino. These were my friends growing up in high school. Mm. That was normal to me. Mm. So that was my Philadelphia. And then my sisters chose to hang out with people from other sides of Philadelphia. And I just learned my mother, I remember being a child and I remember it was around Christmas. My mother was knocking on the door and she was on her knees crying because she had just got mugged mm -hmm. just before Christmas. I know what that's like. I remember my mom being in the hospital and us coming home and our house was robbed and my mom crying because she had put away her, like her engagement ring. She had hidden it somewhere and they took that too. Um, I remember my mother giving me mace when maybe I was old enough to make that transition from going to the private Christian school outside of Philadelphia mm. to going to the public school in Philadelphia, mm -hmm. in the heart of Philadelphia. Mm. And my mother telling me, walk down the street and act like you know. Probably because where she came from and where she, what she had still experienced in our neighborhood. I saw my neighborhood go from a very nice middle-class place to places that suddenly started having little crack vials around it. Mm -hmm. I grew up hearing um, gunshots. And being informed, no, Juwada, those are not firecrackers. Mm -hmm. You know, because I came from, you know, I came from a private Christian school background. I, mm, but that's I, really interesting, though. Because, oh, yeah. I mean, to send you there, your parents must have either sacrificed everything oh, they yeah. had or they were well off. My father worked very... Listen... My father grew up without a father because my grandfather was 30 years older than my grandmother. Mm -hmm. And his father died when he was seven. Mm -hmm. And he's the middle of five children. His father died when his youngest sister, let's say if my Aunt Mary was born in April, my grandfather died in November. Something close like that. And my grandfather was left with five kids. Mm -hmm. And so my father told me stories when I was an adult where he would take the light out of one out of the bedroom to be able to see in the bathroom at night of walking and so wait wait so one yeah. light bulb yeah to move around exactly exactly oh. of being afraid of falling through the floorboards of the house uh -huh. so only as an adult do i really understand what my parents were able to do for three daughters to put them through private christian school and to provide a very very nice middle class life for us Mm -hmm. I'm only starting to really, truly understand that. Mm -hmm. So so it was a rough, you came from a rough neighborhood, but you were kind of immune to it in the beginning. I was because, sheltered. Yeah. I was very sheltered. Uh -huh. Yeah. And how, how, how is it to walk around with mace? In, I mean, does it give any, I've never had mace. I've never been maced and I've never maced anyone. How does it give a sense of security? Well, I didn't really have a sense, as I do for my students, my mother was trying to prepare me for a world I did not know existed. Mm. So she understood the dangers, but I'm like, my mother gave me mace. I don't know. 
I will never forget. I was in the, I had gone on vacation from Seoul, South Korea, and I was in the Philippines. And they told me, young lady, you cannot take this on the plane. And I said, my mother gave it to me. And I'll never forget. The guy looked at the woman. He's like, her mother gave it to her. Because <laughs> as adults and as yeah. parents, they're probably like, well, yeah, sure. Yeah, of well, course, that makes of course. sense. Yeah. But, uh, but how, uh, obviously then, Christ, uh, you know, religion was a big part of, of you and is th- so that's where the music starts that is where the music starts uh-huh. and then in goss in high school i was in gospel choir and then in university i was in gospel choir but i also did musical theater and then in korea i wasn't singing except for i was doing theater and so there was a musical there and so I didn't really expect to come back to music. As I always like to say, my sister was the singer. I was the actress. So mm-hmm. it was just... It wasn't the, uh, the plan. Mm-mm, no, not at all. And I actually was in a coaching situation yesterday and someone said the best book that they've read of 2021 is called Range. Mm. And it's about how generalists will... Uh, I don't know the subtitle, but it's about... Generalist versus specialist, and yeah. they give, it gives the yeah, example. I, I heard of, about that book. Somebody said yeah. it to me, yeah. Roger Nadal, who has mm. a tennis um, coach or instructor as a mother, and she's just like, no, he wasn't a tennis person. No, I, there was no innate talent in my boy. Mm. But it was just that he had so many different interests, and that's literally what you see when you see me on stage. Mm-hmm. When you see me on stage, it's the Christian background. It's the fact that I have a background in... English and communication and theater and journalism and coaching and professional communication. It's the full package. That yeah, but it say. all comes together yeah. in one thing somehow, in an ability to speak, think right. and, and articulate yeah. something. Yeah, for me, it's or about connecting. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, for me, well, I always go back to the traditional definition of communication. It's the creation of a shared meaning or understanding. And if it's shared, that means there's a connection. And I'm very mindful about creating a connection, creating one accord. Can we understand each other? I'm working towards an understanding with the words I choose. All of it is geared towards that purpose. Yeah, ain't nothing but a hound dog. Just a snooping round my door. On the music, so there was no music in the family. I mean, or like not your parents. Not, or not besides. Not, not like that. Church. No. That's it. So that's where it came from. Yeah, that's it. But how that's is all. it to be in, in, I just wonder, because, you know, I, I we are very uh, unreligious in Iceland. Mm-hmm. We actually more, I think more people in Iceland believe in, in elves than God. I think like they were asked, you know, do you believe that elves exist? And 53% said yes. And then there's a, do you believe that God exists? And 47% said yes or something. So we actually are probably a little bit batshit crazy. But um, I I often had this idea that that someone who, who was religious could never lie, for example. Mm-hmm. Or, I don't know, or, or I don't know, that their sex wouldn't be interesting or... I I don't I don't know why you know I I had these I had these um, I remember there was one girl with me in high school in 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 a class and she was really attractive and 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 fun 
but I knew that she was religious and, and you know, like church going and, and I, I somehow always, it just, she, she wasn't even on the map somehow. I don't know why. Is, is it like, can you lie? Uh, well, first of all, let's get this really straight. Anybody who knows Juana knows I'm not religious. That's the first thing about that. Uh-huh. So let's remember, it was my father's rule that said, if you don't go to church, you can't go anyplace else. That's how I was raised. And I'll go revert to my roots. It's because there's a verse in the Bible that says, train up a child in the way it will go and it shall not depart from it. I can mm. quote that off the back of my head, mm-hmm. no problem. And so I was basically raised in the church so that it just became a part of me. There are things that I've kept because they sustain me and there are parts that I've discarded because they don't resonate with me. Mm. Maybe with more life experience, I'll go, that's why that's the rule. Yeah, oh, okay. Uh, All right. So makes sense. That's, that's why you don't run through red lights. Oh, mm. okay. You know, I've, I've gone through stoplights all this time, but it finally caught up to me. Yeah, that's a good rule. So I... So you can, li- yeah. you can lie. Well, I, anyone can lie. <laughs> I can. I do possess that. <laughs> yes, I can lie. <laughs> um, with life experience, I find that it is not in my best interest to lie. Mm. It's in my best interest to raise my skill, my ability, and my character so it is not necessary to lie. But that takes more effort. Mm. That takes more commitment. Yeah. So do I want to grow as a human being or, or do I want the easy route? Yeah. So, yeah, I can lie. Mm. But uh, but I, I, but as you said, actually, I mean, because um, uh, what religion is about in the end is a value. It's a value system or, you yeah. know, it, there is... Um, yeah, behavioral, what do you say, recommendations of yes. proper behavior and right. values and stuff like yeah. that. So, which actually, you know, whether people like it or not, because I think religion has, has gotten a very bad name, um, uh, it it is, a lot of this is the foundation of our legal system, of, you know, the morals of the society, what is right and what is wrong. It comes from religion. Right. And... Uh, so, yeah, it's probably, as you say, it gives you a certain base um, of being a human or, you know, a better person or, or you know, or a good person. I was quite fortunate because I was forced to go to church and it was a part of how I was raised. And it's become certainly a, a fundamental part of me that informs and influences what and how I do things. But because it was forced on me, I went through a period where I just utterly rejected it because it wasn't mine. Mm -hmm. And so when I moved to Seoul, South Korea, I was looking at the Buddhist and I thought, there are people who are more Christian than the people I sat next to in the pew. Mm -hmm. I like these boots. I'm not too sure that all these people are going to hell. I don't think they should go to hell. And so it was that mind opening. And so for me, now with my years experience... I'm much more about the things that all religions can agree on, Mm. where the fundamental values of tradition Mm. that is essential across the board, regardless of, I actually have a book with me that I'm in the middle of reading right now, World's Greatest Religions. Mm -hmm. And it talks about the different roots and how they're similar and how they're different. And that's what really interests me. Because I said, my thing is connection, and shared meaning and shared value and understanding. Mm. So that's what I'm really looking for is how we're similar so that we can appreciate the differences so we can harness those Mm. and be stronger for it 
not destroyed by yeah, it. To find this thing that can connect you so that you can work with the other stuff that is different. Basically. So we can right, capitalize yeah. on the other, no. optimize the other stuff that's different, appreciate mm. it. Mm. I spent today working on accounting stuff. I hate that, but it makes me evaluate, my, uh, really appreciate my accountant more. Oh, yeah. mm-hmm. let me give you everything you need. Let me, so you can do your job so I don't have to. <laughs> Everybody should have a good accountant. Amen. Uh, <laughs> well, but... So you're singing gospel, um, and then you get into other styles, not in the church, or or, or is that did you join a band, or I mean, how did you, how did or did you start singing with bands back then in the states, or? Well, I grew up singing gospel, mm. but during the week I was listening to the oldie station that was playing Motown. Mm-hmm. I, in my fundamental years, that's what I turned to on mm-hmm. my radio station. And next door, my sisters had rap. And in my mother's room, she was playing country music. Mm-hmm. I first heard the, well, she's not country, but I first heard the great blues singer Bonnie Raitt on my mother's um, tape player. Mm-hmm. She would be downstairs cooking Sunday breakfast, listening to country music while my father was getting ready in the bathroom, listening to gospel. Mm. So music was literally everywhere in our house. And then you have to remember, I grew up in the seventies. I grew up in the height of the Philadelphia soul music, Mm -hmm. the sweet Philadelphia sound. And it's, eerie how i'll think of a song and go oh this is a really great song and then i'll google it and i'll find out that it's from right around the time where i was born so i'm very much influenced by it and i only discover how much i'm influenced by it when i google Mm -hmm. so i'm just looking for music that feels and sounds right for me and then i realize its roots that it is soul music from that time and absolutely so my music is very much influenced by literally what's in me and I'm finding expression. Mm. So it started in gospel, but the same musicians who were playing gospel on Sunday were playing blues on Saturday night. Mm-hmm. So that's how I actually came into the blues because I was um, in at Malastrana Besida. I was in the audience watching a blues band mm. and then I was singing with another band and they sent me to the... Uh, audio store to purchase a microphone mm. and behind the counter it was Tonda Smirchka, Antonin Smirchka's uh, audio store and he said are you a singer and I said yes I am and he said will you sing with us and I said okay let me give it a try and so that was in 2000 mm. and so that's when I just figured okay um this sort of sounds like what they played at church so just do what you did at church but I'm so but basically, but basically, then from like childhood until then, singing is just more like a hobby or, or oh, absolutely, it's uh-huh. yeah. so it was more like a side thing. Absolutely, yeah, nothing professional uh-huh. before Prague, nothing at all. Okay, I didn't know that. But w- but what was it about the blues? We were actually I was telling you that my impression of the blues. But what is it about the blues that you like? I mean, oh. what, what drew you to that, for example? Right. Well, first of all. I said, ooh, this sounds like what the lady was playing in church on Sunday. It felt familiar to me. And it's very simple Mm. and it's repetitive. And in that simplicity is the variety because it's a, ah, yes, mm, yes. It's like a blank canvas. Mm. You have the frame. But 
the canvas is very simple. To add something to the canvas, the possibilities are numerous. Mm. But if the canvas were already full, there would not be so much of yourself that you would be able to add. Mm. If you did not stick religiously to the format, what you put in might stand out mm. as not being appropriate or um, inharmonious. Mm. But when the canvas has so much space, one can give more of oneself. Yeah, you have more freedom somehow. Yes. And I, I, I feel this because uh, I, I go to a guitar teacher and and, uh, and he he likes to make me play blues. And I was kind of skeptic. I, I was more like a rock, classic rock, you know, Led Zeppelin kind of, you know, I had these ideas of what I would like to play. But actually when we started playing the blues, I realized, okay, you can actually do a lot here. You can express yourself within this because... It's not like four instruments fighting for space. It's yes. actually, it gives everyone somehow a space. Right. And on top of it, like you go to a guitar teacher. I have gone from time to time to a, a voice teacher. Mm. And I'll go regularly to make sure that I'm in tune. You know, if all the great athletes have a coach. So I purposefully continue to go to my coach to make sure I'm in tune. I, I sort of refer to it as a, a checkup. Like mm. uh, you would go to your car mechanic to make sure everything's running well. And one of the aha moments that I had in a voice lesson was being told, you don't sing the notes, you sing the tone. Mm -hmm. You sing the feeling. Yeah. And your feeling on the same note will be very different from mine. Mm. Not just because of my physiological instrument, but because of my journey and my story that mm. I bring to that feeling that day, that time, that moment in front of that audience. Mm. So the same note in the same song on a different day will have a different tone. Exactly. Because I'm coming from a different place. And the, and the blues allows you that, actually. It, yeah, it, exactly. It expects it. Yes, yes. Oh, well, if you don't do that... Yeah, then it's I, not blues anymore. Exactly. Mm. And one of the things... I. I've been asked to do a workshop and I would never do a workshop about the um, musicality, but I would do it from an interpretation viewpoint. And I always think about people who have, like we had talked about before, great skill, mm. but for whatever reason, they're, they don't know or they're afraid to Expression, pour themselves yeah. Yeah. into the tone. And so for me, it's a very pretty sound, mm. but it's empty. Mm because it hasn't been filled with their spirit oh. and coming from church. Mm. Yeah. That, there that, was an yeah. out of tune piano every single week, yeah. but it was played with devotion. Yeah. It was played in all earnestness, just poured out as an yeah. offering. Yeah. And that is what I come from when it comes to music. Yeah. Because people, when you're, when you look at gospel in church, you know, you can see that, they, they're putting everything yeah. they have into it. Yeah. There is literally a saying that we have. It's a minister of mm. music. Mm -hmm. There is a saying when somebody's singing, let the Lord use you. Mm. It's about being a vessel. It's yeah. about, and when the first time I ever wrote a song um, from start to finish, just it came out of me. It literally felt like it came to me and through me. Mm -hmm. And there are just so many times where, I get to the end of my rope and I just say, you know, that's just what needs to happen. I am at the end of my ability. 
It's just going to have to come through me and I need to get out the way. Mm -hmm. The best performance, whether it's in a classroom or a boardroom or on stage is when I get out the way Mm -hmm. and I let go of my expectations and trying to show when I just let it happen and be in the moment. And for me, singing and teaching and coaching are meditations mm-hmm. where I'm just in the moment. Just so even you, the way we're talking finish, right now, we're just very work. connected with each other. So when you finish work, you're just chilled. You're not even tired. You've just been meditating. <laughs> <laughs> when I do it right, you know how it is when you meditate, you start thinking about this, 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 yeah. and you go, oh my goodness, the timer's up and I missed it and I'm still wind up. So I literally, one of when I wake up in the morning and I set my intention for the day, there is nothing higher that I can come up with than to be in my day as a meditation. Mm. And for me, that means I am here. I am now. I'm not thinking about what was or what will be. I am fully present and connected with this moment in front of me. Hang on back to your guitar, cause I'm gonna be cooking. I'm gone. You mess around with my best friend. When you get lucky, no, I never win. But you're very disciplined. <laughs> and I have a feeling that you're organized and ambitious as well. I aspire yeah. to those things. So because I am ambitious, I must be organized, but my ambition outweighs my organizational capacity. Mm. So I'm always learning and growing to minimize the stress that my ambition creates. You asked me, I remember we, we chatted on the on the phone like, uh, I don't know, probably two months ago or something. Yeah. And then I was telling you like, oh, I have this podcast, I would really like to have you on and, and blah, 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 blah. And, uh, <laughs> and then you asked me at the end, Almar, what is, what is your goals? What are your goals with this podcast? And I was like, what the fuck? Why are you putting me on the spot? You know, like, and, and, and I don't want to, I don't want to think about it. I just want to enjoy the ride, you know? Right. But I, I know there was no, no, no malicious. I had intent. no idea no, it no, had that impact on you. No, no, I, but I, I haven't slept since then. Um, and uh, that's probably what gave me COVID. Um, you look pretty good for somebody who hasn't slept in two months. Yeah. But, uh, no, but it was an interesting thing because I, I, I think I have a feeling that you, the things that you do, you want to do with purpose. Yes, absolutely. Purpose mm. and intention. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And, 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 and that's just a very interesting, I, I, I think it takes a lot of discipline to do that because it's so easy to drift off. Yeah, exactly. Um, for so me, you don't have days where you just been on Instagram the whole day? Oh, absolutely. Oh, okay, good. No You're human. You're human after doubt all. about that. Yeah. yeah. Um, days, even weekends. But the thing about it for me is that I want to feel a sense of accomplishment mm. that gives me joy, that gives me energy, it gives me pride. So I try to work towards the things that make me feel proud mm. of myself and what I've done. And I acknowledge that I need to rest as well. I personally prefer productive forms of rest but there are days when i find myself yeah i yeah they have been let's say they've been very restful yeah but the thing about it is is that i just i have drive Mm -hmm. and i'm very happy because there were many years where i was driven but now i'm much more self-directed so now i have drive which feels much nicer Mm -hmm. 
and because you're doing it for yourself yes it's exactly. not an external yeah, yeah, yeah. thingy somehow yeah. you remember you were talking about the children who feel under pressure by mm -hmm. their parents mm -hmm. making that transition of i have to do it because i want my parents to feel mm -hmm. proud of me because mm -hmm. this is what has been put put forth as success versus I've taken the time to look within myself and these are the, the things I want for myself. Mm. So what's stopping me from moving forward? Mm. Am I the person who walks my walk or do I just talk? Mm. And my feeling is if I don't talk my walk, I need to shut up. Yeah. Yeah. And also <laughs> I think when you choose a career like this, it's really hard to be a slacker, you know, like you, you kind of, you need to lead, by example, to yourself, <laughs> because yeah, exactly. I mean, it, it must feel hypocrite if you're telling people, yeah, you need to be organized, you need yeah, to do yeah, this, yeah. Exactly. And then you're just a slop, you know, yeah. like you, you can't really do that, right? Yeah, it's really hard. Um, and for example, time management, stress management, mm. when I cover those topics with my students, I always say we're all students, we're just in different grades. Mm. And I'm learning just like you are. You're and in like... 27th grade or something. exactly yeah. and it's, it's just yeah. like a black belt you know yeah, it just yeah. keeps going higher and yeah. higher and the thing about it is is that every time i teach to them i learn something new and it's a mm. reminder oh my goodness am i doing this at the level that i am which is different than i was last year when i taught this or last semester when i taught this mm. so it's just a constant reminder mm. but i'm learning that that's what life is about. It's not necessarily about the achieving, but it's about understanding the value of having something that gets you out of bed in the morning mm -hmm. and gives Pur purpose, purpose and meaning. Yeah, exactly. yeah absolutely. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, so you moved from the States um, and you told me you went to South Korea and, and then you... Um, you were actually going to go back to the States, right? Yeah. I mean, the plan yeah. was just to be in South Korea for four years? No. I signed a one-year contract uh -huh. when I was in South Korea, and it turned into four years. Okay. And I moved here, and I moved here September 1st, 1998, and then by... But why the did you... Why, as a stopover on the way home, or... or no, I... I had a wonderful life in South Korea. I was teaching at uh, the equivalent of Harvard University in South Korea. I was at Seoul National University. And in Korea, education is everything mm. because of a Confucian society. It opens the doors for the whole family. So I was teaching at the equivalent of Harvard in Korea. I was a highly respected university professor with a great deal of all of the respect and privilege that comes with that. And I had eight weeks paid vacation and a paid apartment. And I was in my 20s mm. and i thought i had hit the jackpot because i had more vacation than my parents had working decades at a place and i thought this is really nice i could i'm going to repeat this around the world this is this is the way to uh -huh. see the world because i was teaching university i the second classes would end i'd take my backpack from out of the corner of the classroom i'd hop on the um shuttle to the airport and i was gone and mm. i would come back basically the morning of classes and put my backpack back in the corner and i'd teach again and that was my lifestyle for three years when i was teaching after the fulbright mm. and so that's what i thought i would do and then i took the trans-siberian on let's say august 1st because my visa ended in korea but my visa in prague had not started yet i studied russian in eighth grade in 1989 when they were talking about perestroika and glasnost yeah. so you're there before the end of soviet union 
Well, 89, it was, well, I mean, I, no, I studied uh-huh. Russian in 89, yeah. but I ah, before, was, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, in that first, yeah, yeah, yeah 98, yeah, sorry, yeah. I, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. August 98, I so was. So Gorbachev, that's Perestroika, right? Yes, exactly. I was there when the ruble crashed. <laughs> it, was, uh-huh. it was so funny because we took the trans, with my ex-boyfriend who's Swiss, uh, we took the Trans-Siberian from Khabarovsk via Ulan-Ude, over to Novosibirsk, then we were on Lake Bakal for some time, mm. and then suddenly the captain wanted payment in dollars, and we're like, all right, sure. And then when we got back to land, there were huge lines outside of the banks. I'm like, what is going on here? And uh, that's when we found out the ruble had collapsed, mm. and so at, that was enough train travel for me. Flew out to Moscow to spend more time there before taking the overnight train to St. Petersburg and arriving in Prague the 1st of September. I was gobsmacked, enchanted by Prague. Love mm. at first sight. After coming from South Korea with its uh, concrete jungle, because it's a peninsula, the only place to go is up. So yeah. just the skyscrapers. And so... No green space whatsoever just to see. And coming from Siberia, I mean, I saw Russia from Siberia to Moscow. So a very different impression of Russia. And then to come to Prague. And I remember the guy who picked me up from the airport from the language school. I just went, and what's that? And what's that? And what's that? He took me past the, can- the castle down Khotkovisari and I was done. I was through. I was madly in love. And then one day I got lost coming from Narodni Trida, trying to find something. But I, I got lost going out Maizalova uh, Street, out, uh, I want to say, Kaprova Street. And I wound up at the Rudolfinum. And I just looked up and I went, this looks like me. I'm home. Yeah. And that was it. I was done. I was going to make a life. No more traveling from place to place and starting over again. I was like, I will make a life here. I do mm-hmm. not have to go to the United States so it was to have a real pla- life. It wasn't the plan. It was just no. love at first sight. It was love at first sight. I signed a one-year contract 23 years ago. Uh-huh. And yep. you lived in the same apartment for the whole time, right? Well, yeah. Yeah. May 1999 is when I moved into my current apartment. That's yeah. crazy. I lived yeah. in seven apartments here in 13 years. Well, I, can just know. I hate, I actually I really hate, hate moving. Yeah. And moving. Hate I hate me. moving. I hate unpacking. I hate setting up. Yeah. yeah. But how, how was it to, to get here? I mean, like, you're black. You're coming from South Korea. Yeah. And that, from there to, to Philadelphia, uh, from Philadelphia to South Korea. How was it to come to Prague in 1994? No, 98, sorry. 98, yeah. Because that's like, what? That's eight, nine years after the fall of communism. Right. And I hear those stories from people that were here back in those days, that it was pretty wild. But you must have been very exotic here. Well, see, the thing, is, the thing is, is that my everybody's experience of wherever they are is colored by wherever they've been. Mm-hmm. And this is not just spatially, but also mentally and psychologically. So I had just come from your from Seoul, where I went to. Yeah. I just come from hiking, and I was in my little hiking gear, and I was hot and sweaty, and I went into a bathhouse, which is nor- very normal. And the lady started screaming, "Sir, sir, get out of the ladies' room!" And I'm like, mm, "I'm a woman too." So you know, I've had. People touch me because I'm not Korean. Mm. The simple is not about me being black. Mm. 
Mm-hmm. It's about the fact I'm that not one different. of them yeah, yeah, yeah. and I don't belong to the social hierarchy pecking order. There's no one for can't whom fit there anywhere. are. Yeah. That's not it. I am not a part of the tribe. Therefore, there is no repercussion for what you do to me because you don't believe that I know someone who knows someone who will negatively impact your behavior towards me. Mm-hmm. So I literally am an outsider. So that can be for the good. I started teaching with my Fulbright at a girl's high school, and one of my colleagues confided in me, I'm divorced, but nobody knows. Mm-hmm. I'm the foreigner. Mm-hmm. So you can be re- yeah, you're real. Harmless. And yeah, I, yeah. Exactly. Mm. So I can be harmless where you can be open and authentic mm. because you're not going to lose face. Mm. Or I'm the foreigner, and you can be open and authentic and an, because bad, bad you're not way, going yeah. to lose face. Yeah. You could be in a bad and good way, good way. Whoever you truly are can mm. come out mm. with safety, with impunity. Yeah, yeah, with lack of impunity. So for me, I just came from seeing my, you know, people who would be a part of the majority in the United States experiencing what it's like to be a minority. Mm. And because I know that can happen when you leave whatever space you're a minority. I know it can happen. Every, where, I know that can happen when you leave a space where you are a majority, where you can go into a space where you are a minority. Mm. So I know that people can have that experience before some people have had that own experience. And then people like you, you know, travel to Asia and you go, oh, that's what it feels like. Mm. Oh, that's how it is. Oh, and to carry that with you wherever you go. I'll never forget, I was talking with a Belgian man who informed me here in the Czech Republic, he gets looked at because he's a foreigner. And this is one of the stories that I share when I talk with companies about intersectionality because an African-American female, I just assume white males have, you know, they're just going to lunches and picnics and nobody has any, and that's bull. It's complete bull until you start to talk to people and they say, no, I get treated as a foreigner and I get treated with disrespect because it's really clear I'm not Czech. And mm. then you get to hear all the challenges they have and mm. how they are a minority, even though where I come from, they fit in the majority. And that's the reason why I love talking about intersectionality, because people don't have appreciation of other people's challenges because they're so caught up in their own. Yeah, yeah, you're stuck in the bubble. And I, and it's actually interesting because... Um, I think the greatest decision I made in my life was to move away from my home country, exactly yes. because it, 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 I kind of got out of that bubble right. that I was in. And uh, I mean, I I moved into a very similar environment in Denmark, and then I moved here, where I moved in a completely different environment, where um, my style and my approach to life and my communication style and um, yeah, how I look even was not like a common thing back then. You know, 13 years ago. Um, only drug dealers had tattoos, you know, like uh, or whatever, you know, and you and no manage, manager would put their foot, feet on the table, which we did back in Denmark, or, or smoke in their office, which I did anywhere. So, uh, it, and, and, and it really helps you because it it makes made me understand. Okay, I'm not I'm not special. I'm I'm just a person, you know, and right. I, I and I also need to do something to fit in here, and I need to accept right. the traditions that are here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But. Um, I don't know. I mean, yeah, I felt, I felt when I went to Asia. There, there, I have felt, um, and in, and in, in Sudan, mm-hmm. I was in Sudan. There, I felt like 
there I was really stared at, you know, right. because everybody was wearing a, a nightgown. Right. Or like these... Whatever the traditional yeah, garb yeah, is. I yeah. don't know what it's called. I don't know what it's called either. It's not a burka, but it's l- those long... It actually looks really nice or comf- comfortable, let's mm-hmm. say. Um, and I wasn't the only one not wearing that, you know. Right. So so obviously I stood out and I was white as, as a... I don't know. Uh, I don't no. think that's the only reason why you stood no, out. No, probably not. <laughs> but how... But how was that here? I mean, d- did you have? Um, I, I read some interviews. You said that people were staring at you, and you found the way to deal with it somehow. Well, I I don't really remember that interview because, like oh, I said, I'm in the moment, and yeah. I I really don't know what I said two minutes ago. Um, I try to be here and out and present, but I do remember. I injured my knee in South Korea, and once I got my work visa. And my regular visa pay insurance, I got knee surgery. Here. And yes, uh-huh. exactly. And my left knee was bandaged in white, in a white bandage. And it was on maybe for a week or two. Mm. I remember when they took the bandage off and I stared at my own leg because it was brown and it wasn't white. Mm-hmm. And I thought, if I stare at my own leg, because it's a relief seeing something different than white, what in the world are, do they think about me? Mm. And I remember my mom came here, I can't remember when, it was probably early 2000s, and she she visited me in Seoul, she visited me here, and she was looking for black people. And she's like, there are no black people here, there are no... We got to the point where she was counting black people and she had to count the mannequin in the store windows. <laughs> and there were there were no black people. And now I see black people more often. And yeah. I remember my girlfriend, Michelle. I love her. She is one of the nearest and dearest friends of mine. She is from her. She's, she grew up with the military, traveled all over the world, settled in Canada for a long part of her very successful career. Her parents are down in Florida, so she has that Southern upbringing. And she looked at me one day and she said, Jamana, they're staring at you because you're black. And I looked at her and I said, no, Michelle, they were staring at me because I'm beautiful. Mm -hmm. I know I'm beautiful because I would not permit myself to leave the house before I thought so. So I have chosen coming from a racist society Mm. to view myself positively Mm. to the best of my ability. Mm. And that's all I can do. And so I know the rest is on you. Mm. Yeah. And really I have conducted myself to the best of my ability as a child of God. And Mm. I have treated you as a child of God. So if you have a problem, it's really your problem. Mm. Now, if I acted the fool and I embarrassed my parents, that would be on me. And I would owe you an apology. But as long as I conduct myself according to my values, not my problem. Mm. But I think, is that is that something that you take from your childhood or, 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 or just something that you acquired over, over time? Well, I had an experience in university mm. because it goes back to my father's youth Mm. in the sixties, there was so much racial tension that my grandmother kept my father out of school for his safety Mm -hmm. to the degree that he missed, he missed enough of school that he was kept back for a year. It turned out well because his future employer where he stayed for decades was doing recruiting when he was graduating. So it worked out well. Yeah. 
He but, was at the right place exactly. at the right time. Yeah. But he told me that someone had pulled me aside and said something about white devils or white people or something like that. And he very quickly pulled that person aside. You do not talk to my child that way. That you don't you know, spew your hate towards my child. Because he had made the determination that the effects of racism would end with him. Mm-hmm. And this is something that I talk about when I talk about intersectionality and unconscious bias. I was literally raised to be Joanna Jenkins. I had no clue that I was a bl- African-American female mm. until I got to university. Mm. And in gender studies, they told me how I was oppressed and you know, all the awful things. I, Like I said, I grew up sheltered. Mm. And it was with purpose because mm. all I knew was that I was supposed to get A's. That was my full-time job. And that's all I knew. All I knew was to be trained for excellence and to be Joanna Elizabeth Michelle Jenkins. So other people looking at me or wanting to diminish me because of the limitations of their mind, that's not my problem. Mm. Your limitations are not my problem. But it's, it's actually really interesting to listen to you say this because I think, I think your parents did a great job uh, because I, 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 I have a feeling that often when people are exposed to somehow experience themselves as victims, mm-hmm. if, it, if it's repeated often enough... Right. It becomes the reality somehow. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And then do you lose somehow the will and the fight. Yeah. And and I think it's very interesting that that your dad makes the decision that, okay, the buck stops here, you yeah. know, I'm not going to let this go on to my daughter or right. my daughters, you know. And right. um, yeah, that's a very... And it's a very noble way to exactly. <laughs> do it, actually. And when I got to university, I it's so funny because I was I went to Central High School and one of the English teachers, an African-American woman, said, why do you want to go to Penn State, that old racist place? All I know was it was a state school where the tuition was cheap and mm. I could get in. And because it was a state, state school, it would offer me many different possibilities. Mm. I went in for journalism and I stayed with journalism, but... There were just so many possibilities. It didn't even occur to me. And I left Philadelphia to go to the middle of nowhere, Pennsylvania. And I remember my girlfriends went to this frat party the weekend before. And they said, oh, you got to go. It's great. And then we went the next weekend. And people said, you know, it was a very cold reception. And when we were leaving, someone closed the door and said, good, go. And I, in my mind, interpreted it as racist. I don't mm-hmm. know the source of the good go, but at that point in time, that's how I interpreted it. And I was so devastated. Mm. They didn't know me. I didn't do, do anything. anything wrong. I yeah. was a nice person. I, how do I process this? How mm-hmm. do I integrate this information? And mm. that was the moment I came up with the, with the rule. Mm. As long as I conduct myself as a child of God, it's not my problem. Yeah. I was so upset. They said they had a great time and, you know, it was really don't let the door hit you when you leave. Mm. When I thought I'd never love again With you, this came to an end When I didn't know which How do you make peace with when people are mean to you and you haven't done anything? Mm. That's, 
how I yeah, but that's, dealt with that's, it. That's prejudice. I mean, that that's the purest form of prejudice or racism. You know, like it's... it's oh, another form is... Mm. I, as time management is my area for growth, it's one of the things that keeps me humble. I was run, I was sick. I was running to class. On the way to class, I went past the medical center mm. and I was going to pick up a, um, a, a prescription that I had asked to be filled at the medical center. And I was running and I said, I, I put it there. I don't understand why the prescription hasn't been filled. And in rural Pennsylvania, this woman looked at me, private Christian school, uh, holidays at camp, and in the mountains, grew up skiing. She looked at me and she told me, well, I didn't know what kind of welfare card you had. Oh, really? She assumed that you wouldn't be able to... I didn't know what kind of welfare card you had. Mm. So, you know, that's when the, the shelter came off mm. and... Just like I'm talking to you, I was in some sort of forum and I mentioned this situation and the director of the medical center was there and she came up to me and she said, I apologize. I'm sorry that happened to you. Mm. But I'm the type of woman who tells the story. Mm. There are other people who just hold it in um, and it eats them up inside um, and say, you know, those awful people. And yeah, they are awful people. But we say that being angry or mad at people is like drinking poison, expecting the other person to die. Yeah, that's a very good way to describe it. it it's such a waste of energy. Because exactly. The only one that that loses is you. Exactly. Uh, but so. So you come here. <laughs> Excuse me. Mm. These were not my people. Mm. I wasn't born here. Mm. There are people walking around every single day. If that's what I encountered in the United States, mm. do you really think I'm phased by these people? Mm. Really? Mm. No, sorry. Mm. Nope, that's not an option. But mm -hmm. it, but but being just just being a foreigner, let alone you know where you're from, whether you're no, you know, it's African worse feeling like a foreigner in your own country. Mm. Yeah. If I'm out of a country more, and yeah. I feel foreign, I can. That it's easier yeah. for me to process yeah, that yeah. because other the other other part is a rejection that is is different but I, and i i i do occasionally visit with the delegate the our delegation here in prague the, the black delegation as dave Chappelle would say and there are i have lots of buddies who are married to beautiful czech women have gorgeous little babies mm. i have female friends who like me are single and we get together for our thanksgiving and christmas and holidays and we talk and share and We have good lives mm -hmm. here. But it has, I've, it I've has never changed. felt unsafe. No. I've walked from a concert at Ungelt all the way to my home mm. in at one o'clock in the morning, mm. and I've never felt that I needed mace. No. <laughs> so then mace stayed back in Korea. <laughs> What Philippines? That's where they yeah, where the they customs. Cust yeah, where they but confiscated the, it. But uh, the, the, it, it is it is a changed city. I mean, it, or or a country. I mean. I, Over, over those, what, 23 years that you've been here, yeah. it, it has changed a lot, I guess, right. as well. I mean, also in terms of diversity, because mm -hmm. I can see that in everything, I mean, whether it's, uh, yeah, the people or, or the food culture or music culture, I mean, it, there's just more diversity here than, than was. Um, but, I don't know, it, it's, it's still... I don't know. I I still always feel that I, I, I'm I'm always going to be a foreigner here somehow. I will never really be one of them. 
Imagine growing up feeling that way. Mm-hmm. That must be horrible. Yeah. I, I yeah, I, I come from a very homogenic uh, island in the middle of nowhere <laughs> that nobody wanted to go to, you know? And and actually, yeah, I, 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 I think, to be honest, I think that I, I was 12 years old when I... No, I saw one Spanish guy or something when I was seven, and then 12 was the next time that I saw, like, wow. a foreigner, you know, mm-hmm. in Iceland. Yeah. I mean, knowing that it was a foreigner. Anyway, so... You started singing here. Yeah, because of that whole circumstance where, let's see. Oh, first I was asked to be a backup singer, and it was one, myself and maybe one or two other girls. And then I was asked to be a front woman for the Double Deckers. Mm. And I was asked to write music. And I was like, I don't want to write music. I just want to sing. And what kind of bands were these? Like blue? blue. Well, the first one was a pop band. Mm. And... Then the next band was Tony's Blues Band, where I was the front woman from 2000 to 2010. And then I met Charlie Slavik when he was playing at a mutual friend's debut. And he invited me to a jam session. And I went to a jam session and I was surrounded by musicians. And this is after I had spent the day doing destination management. Mm. And then I went to the jam session. I went, oh. My people, I feel at home. Mm. And it was just a nice feeling. And then I uh, started, I performed at an event where he was the artistic director for the musical lineup. And Andre Bezer of the Schumberg Blues Alive Festival said, Charlie, would you put a band around her? I'd like her to perform at the Blues Alive Festival. And that's when Charlie and I first were in a band together. And we performed 2010 at Schumberg Blues Alive, put out an album 2011, mm-hmm. The Blues Keeps You Alive, mm-hmm. inspired by the title Blues, Schumberg Blues Alive. And that's where I wrote the lyrics for 11 out of the 12 songs. There was one cover song. Mm. And that's when I first started. I wrote the melodies, meaning that if I had a harmonic background, I would choose what, like, you know, with blues, you know, you have the structure and then you can decide what you want to sing. Exactly. And I wrote the lyrics with it because I had to sing something that resonated with me that Uh I could sing with all of my heart. And so songwriting for me actually has become something that I've grown into doing because I said I started with theater. Mm. And when I came to Prague, I came here September 1st by my birthday, September 26th. I was in a play and I was rehearsing more hours than I was actually teaching. And then we only had four performances. And Mm. I just thought, I don't like that. I put so much energy in it. And and then what do I do afterwards? But when you sing a song, you can sing it a cappella. You can sing it with a Czech band, an Italian band, a Norwegian band, a Polish band, the whole thing. Mm. And I'm not singing when I... Um, do a play I'm performing somebody else's words but when I write the words this is my story this is my song and it puts a lot of different feeling into it yes but how what inspires this like you say 11 lyrics to 12 I mean what do you sing about oh my goodness my songs in the 2012 album really it's very interesting I discovered that I had many thoughts and ideas. Some people journal, but if I write a song, that means the core of the ideas in the chorus. And to explain why it's the core, there's the first verse, the Mm -hmm. second verse, 
And then there is the resolution, which is the third verse. And by the end of the song, I really understood, I really understand what's deep inside me. It mm-hmm. helps to get it out and put it in order to create order from the chaos of the thoughts and ideas. As a coach, I actually now understand that it's about creating a narrative, putting it in order so that it makes sense to me, so that it makes sense to other people to process this experience. Mm. Mm. So that's the structure, and, yeah. and that's the me- method. But yeah. what are they about? I mean, yeah. Like, so that was 2012. So it mm. was really about my life experience, and I always say these are true stories. So, for example, Schumper Blues Alive, and Charlie said, "Joanna, this is." biggest festival in not only Czech Republic but the region. We can't be doing covers now. So I thought, oh, I gotta come up with original music. Oh, Blues Alive. Blues Alive. What is that? And so I, I had the groove and then I was like, mm, Blues Alive. How does the blues keep me alive? And then I was literally washing dishes mm-hmm. in the kitchen. I was like, I got it. And so there's a line that says um, uh, out the door or the window a glass or you I'm going to throw because something else has got to break than my poor heart from this old ache. Mm-hmm. The blues keeps you alive. And then the final verse is open my mouth not to eat. I part my lips, but not to drink pop a pill. I do refuse. So instead of murder, I sing the blues. That's straight up truth. Mm-hmm. That's where I was in 2012. Well, 2010 when I wrote those. Some relationship issues. Yeah. <laughs> uh-huh. yeah. That, but because yeah. uh, love is and heartbreaks yeah. and and fights with your loved ones are often the biggest inspiration, right? I guess. Yeah. For a musician. Well, 2012 it was really a lot about that transitioning mm. out of um separation and divorce and making sense of that and mm. finding new love and uh making sense of that. Uh the first original song that came from that uh album was Never Say I Love You nor the that's the title, uh Never Say I Love You, nor even that I care. Um the verses uh, you know just what I look like with no makeup on. I just I know just where you were until the crack of dawn. Mm-hmm. Never say I love you, nor even that I care, because we both know better than to go there. You know my favorite meal. I know your favorite wine. You know how to make me squeal. I know not to make you mine. Never uh, say I love you. That's good. <laughs> nor even but, that but, I care. But they, 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 um, uh, they say that the best music comes out of misery somehow. Well, like I said, from mm. that narrative perspective, that would explain it to me based mm-hmm. you know, with all parts of myself looking at it, yeah. But if you if you were super happy, everything is yeah. going great, and life is perfect, could you write? Would you feel that you could write great lyrics? That's a really interesting question. I'm now searching my soul to see if there is a time where I would. I don't have a song that comes from happiness. I really mm-hmm. don't. I wrote a lot during. Um, I was very blessed and fortunate that someone close to me on March 12th, when lockdown was announced here last year, sent me this cartoon saying that when uh, the University of Oxford Oxford was shut down, uh, Newton went to his aunt's farm in the countryside where he discovered um, gravity, or mm. he put together the theory of gravity, 
And that really colored and influenced how I spent my time in lockdown. I'm just like, if Newton could do it, so can I. Uh, uh, <laughs> no, no ambition there. No ambition whatsoever. You were going yeah, to discover something great. <laughs> exactly. And that's when I wrote uh, all these new songs. Because I needed to have something that I felt I could give from mm. this time. I had to turn it into something positive. Mm. And so things like shine which i performed for the tedx unip and also um uh other songs but and you're working on an album now right right or, yeah, uh, yeah. when is that ready well the thing is is that i'm going to be touring the music in mm. a tour of the czech republic starting the first of february mm -hmm. going to eight different locations from the first of february until the 11th of february and then the tour ends on the 12th of march at jazz dock uh-huh yeah so i'm gonna be there yeah. oh yeah looking forward to seeing yeah, you. yeah and and but you just came off a tour now you were touring yeah, in, I norway. Was in norway exactly i was in norway from the 29th of november until the uh 5th of december hitting they have 72 different blues clubs mm. i mean not a physical place but groups of enthusiasts uh, of yeah exactly uh -huh. And so I was in Stavanger, where I played for the Stavanger Blues Club, then Sadness, and then back at a... a I'm impressed by your Norwegian uh, pronu pronunciation. It's the singer's ear. Stavanger yeah. and Sadness. Yeah. And uh -huh. then Oslo, two different places outside of uh -huh. Oslo with a great band, the uh, GB Blues Machine. We actually met in... Uh, uh, Porto Delgado when Geir uh, Bertusen was performing with his band there and they took second place at the European Blues Challenge and so we decided during a jam session that if I were ever in Norway we should get together and it finally happened three years later that's cool way cool yeah, yeah. but um, um, so you have to give me tips for Iceland yeah I mean we we, we had a we had a quite an active blues scene there I would say like 25, 30 years ago. Right. Um, and there was this one bar that specifically catered for that and, and kind of all days during the week there was some blues going on there. Yeah. But it kind of died. But I think it's not just the blues. I think we lost a lot of that live music mm -hmm. um, scene somehow. It, yeah. it just, I don't know. It, it yeah. I, I, but I also think it came a lot with the the different instruments, you know. Now you, I can, I can make a song on this computer right. at home, you know, and 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 that's not necessarily a song that that I want to perform in a pub right. or in a bar, you right. know. Like it, it, yeah, it's a different thing. Um, so, but yeah, I, I will definitely, I'll, I'll check that out. Uh, maybe I can be your promoter in Iceland. Um, but um, so the album is coming out when? What do you roughly? What do you think? We're here in December 2021. Yes. I don't have a particular date for it. Mm. It's still in the process. I'm just really happy to tour the music, get it out in front of people, and really just decide which music works best for the people in terms of what uh -huh. I want to so, leave with them. So you, you yeah, so you, mm. you, you haven't finished recording everything. Exactly. Uh -huh. So you're yeah. kind of working on, exactly. on the material, figuring out yeah. what, what you feel about it. Yeah, exactly. And But I'm just curious, like, um, I mean, you left the US, uh, which is not a very common thing and maybe not common enough mm -hmm. because I have a I have a feeling a lot of a lot of my American friends and my British friends that that live here, when you ask them why why do you live here? Well because here is real freedom. 
Mm. It's not a perceived freedom. It's actually right. real freedom where nobody is sticking their nose into my business and I can smoke weed on the street or whatever it is that is their fancy, you know? Right, the value system that they live by. Yeah. And uh, um, why why did you do this? I mean, what what was the... What was the reason why you wanted to do this? Right. I, probably about fifth grade, read Maya Angelou's book, I Know Why the Cage Bird Sings. Mm. And I don't know if there was a specific reference in that book, but somewhere around that time, I also found out about leading figures of the Harlem Renaissance, people like uh, Langston Hughes or Nilla Hurston, Josephine Baker, mm. leaving the United States. And I got it in my mind around fifth grade that if you're young, black, and gifted and talented, you need to move abroad to be able to fully realize your potential. Mm. I just got it in my head. And I was very blessed that when I was in middle school, my family was in a ski club and they had a tradition of going to Mount St. Anne from Philadelphia. And we would leave on Wednesday night and we'd wake up on the bus um, Thursday morning, Thanksgiving in Quebec. And so from eighth grade, I started learning French and I studied French all the way through university and got a minor in it. And I went to France for uh, my Easter break in my junior year. I studied in Italy for my summer of my junior year in university. So, so it was that always desire, there somehow, yeah. I had always acted on the desire to go abroad. Mm. And any time I did so, it never disappointed. So mm. it was just so logical that I would experience life abroad. Mm. I did not know that I would move here permanently. But when... I realized the statement that the United States is a wonderful place is true, depending on who you are and what your values are. Mm. I know lots of people here who ask me, isn't it better there? Mm. And you can go shopping and you can buy so many things. That's not life. That's not what is important to me. Mm. And there are many people who say, I've moved here. I can raise my child in peace. I'm in a little village. Everybody knows my name. You know, it's just values. And mm. it's about finding the place where someone feels comfortable. I know lots of people who've lived in Prague, who've gone on to move to different countries that are not their own. But I always say, until I find a place that offers me the, val- the benefits that I have in Prague, plus I'm not leaving Prague mm. until I find a better place. Mm. Yeah, I think I think it's a it's a very healthy thing for anyone. It's a very it makes you grow a lot as yeah. a person to go. And I think I think actually that that you know <coughs> we talked about a little bit before we started recording that, that this American dream somehow is a scam in some way. And I wish that more Americans would see it because I think it could make that country so much better if there was a little bit more equality and and yeah, I mean, there are things there that I find very strange if, if, as far as I know, for example, with schools, they're funded by um, real estate taxes. So if the real property prices in the region are low, then the tax base is low and then the school gets low money. And then obviously that's not going to be a good school because they can't pay the teachers, etc. So there are systematic things in in the structure there. And, you know, they don't have a lot of vacation. Um, they don't have a lot of maternity leaves. Um, 
I think there are too many people going to school actually because it's school has become business, not just. Um, and everybody then comes out with a degree because if the school fails, and everyone also school debt. Yeah, and then you Most come out with debt, and you debt. yeah, and then you don't get a job that can s- sustain that debt. So, I, th- I yeah, I just think there's a lot of things that are not super complicated actually to. If if the will is there, you know, but there are powers that seem to be at work in that country, which are, I think, beyond any president, any political party. There is just something. If our if the, if you Google now the most powerful doctor in the world, you get the picture of Bill Gates. He's not a doctor. He's a computer guy with man boobs. So he is the most powerful doctor in the world, according to Google. Wow, try, try I'm, I, I'm, so, I, you know, I will do that yeah. <laughs> when I'm here. I'm, so, I but did not sa- know that. It says a lot, you know. It says a lot about, and the guy that owns Amazon, he flies to space, while his employees get minimum wage or not, even that, or they can't even pee at work. You know, it's it's crazy. It's gone to some state that I, 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 I wish that Americans would not see Sweden as a communist state. They would actually see Sweden for the cute country that it actually is to a large extent. I mean, they have their problems. Everybody has. Anyway, that was just my little monologue about how... (laughs) Well, uh, in response to that, I think there needs to be a curiosity. And, Mm. yeah, there needs to be a curiosity. There doesn't even have to be a dissatisfaction. But if you are happy how often is there a motivation to seek something else Mm. but if you are enchained how often is there the opportunity Mm. to seek something else Mm. and the chains begin in someone's mind Mm. so if you see yourself as a victim yeah yeah, then you never see yourself do anything like this exactly Mm. exactly and if you're if you have a victim mindset and you're told that you live in the greatest country there is Mm. And you're fortunate and blessed to be here, then why in the world, even with all of your misery, would you try to mm. look someplace else? Mm. And even if you go someplace else, unless the mind is open, you're only going to see what already confirms what you believe. Mm. Yeah. So that's the reason why I say it has to be curiosity, mm. the openness to see the world from a different perspective. And that's what I said. Education to me is when the boulder disappears and the road is free to travel down. Mm-hmm. Wasn't it someone in the Bible that moved stones? I'm not sure. I'm, I'm thinking of like Her- no, they took the, Hercules. They took the, I don't know. I don't know. The mo- he, Jesus moved the stone when he went out of that um, where they put him when he died. When they took him off the oh, cross. Oh, they moved the, the, moved the, yeah. Yeah, the stone from in front of the tomb. Yeah. Sure. That's, a, that's his boulder. There you go. But um, if you would have stayed in the U.S., I mean, where would you where would you want to be today? If you never would have gone to South Korea, you would never have gone oh my to goodness. Prague. Oh my goodness! Um, you're the first person who's ever asked me that. I have never even thought about that. I was just surprised that I didn't go through with that plan, and I made another plan. And being ambitious, I just stuck to that plan. Thinking about it since you've said it. I still don't know. I guess, well, if I was working at the Franklin Institute Science Museum, I was a guest services supervisor when I got the letter that I got the Fulbright. 
maybe I would have climbed through the ranks at that place where I had been employed since high school. Mm. And then if I, but see, again, I was in education, mm. Franklin Institute Science mm. uh, Museum. I probably would have been involved with something in education because it's just And singing in some blues joints? I don't know if my road would have led that way. Oh. I am... I really, okay, so one thing is you can be a minority or you can be an exception mm. and there's no one else like you. So is it something that's awful or is it an opportunity? Mm. And I always look for the opportunity. Mm. Where is the competitive advantage? Where is the unique selling proposition? So I don't go into crowded ponds. That's not the no. way I view the world. Blue, I would blue, always the blue ocean strategy. I would always be looking for that foot in the door that mm. nobody else is into and nobody else could be into because they don't have my background. Mm. So that's the reason why I talk about diversity and inclusion and intersectionality and unconscious bias as an African American female who started in communications and corporate communication when we were talking about um, cross cultural communication. Mm. And I was saying back then that cross culture is also intergenerational mm. and it's also about different styles yeah, in yeah. terms of introverted versus extroverted because of my background as a teacher and understand that there are different learning styles and different theories about it. And when I do it as, when I talk about it as a university professor, I talk about different um, styles of learning based on different models. When I do it as a corporate trainer, I talk about Jungian models with feelers, ex, uh, feelers, thinkers, um, intuitives, and sensors. Mm. So it's the same thing, but from a different perspective and seeing that they all overlap when we have so many things that make us special and unique and they overlap. That is who we are in our full package as a person. Mm. So I teach my students what's made it possible for me to sit here opposite of you and say that I'm, you know, ambitious. I'm looking for that thing that only I can offer. Mm. Why would I look for something else? Mm. That's true. So, but you, yeah, it, you would be in education. You I, would probably I, be, that, that's the calling somehow. Education, communication, mm. it's its really interesting. COVID was a challenging time and I searched my soul and I asked myself what I would do and I did exercises that I would give anybody with whom I worked and it came up with, I love asking questions mm. and I love connecting with people and what would be a field in which I could ask questions, connect with people? Mm. You know, that's the reason why I studied journalism. That's the reason why I do coaching now. So if there's a field where I could connect with people and ask questions, whatever that title is, that's probably where I would have found my way. Mm. Because my love and my talents remain the same regardless yeah, of yeah, which well, of continent I'm on. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, if, if you... if. If this is what you were made for or, or built for, yeah, then exactly. eventually that's what you do, yeah, one exactly. way or the other. Exactly. Uh, um, okay, I think. I mean, I, yeah, I think I, I would have, I would have liked to talk to you much longer, but my girlfriend tells me that my episodes are already too long, and we now spoke <laughs> for more than an hour and a half. Really? Yeah. Oh, no, uh, it went by so quickly. Yeah, it flies. Okay. So I need to get you again, actually, because I yeah, think absolutely. there's a lot so of other stuff. Yeah, so much more to talk about. Yeah, there's a lot of other stuff that I would like to talk about. But, Let's uh, do that. For now, uh, where can people follow you? So you have juwanajenkins.com, right? Exactly. Yeah. And I'll put the the these links in the in the in the episode description. So at least on Apple and Spotify, you can listeners, you can find it there. 
I'm going to try to push you to send me some of your music so I can put that on the episode as well. Sure so you thing. can hear what you want to sing. Mm-hmm. Um, Instagram. Right, I'm on Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn. Okay, cool. Depends on what people want to get in touch for. MySpace. Mm, no. no. <laughs> um, yeah, guys, uh, you know where to find me on social media if you have any interest in doing that. And uh, thanks for listening. It's been great to have you here, Giovanna. I, it actually, I had a I had a paper in front of me here with where I wanted this to go, but it went completely differently. But but that we can do it next time. Yeah, we can do my yeah, we can do the plan next time. But the plan is never better than the execution. Well said. Uh, that, I, this could I could trademark this. I know exactly. Yeah. I was thinking mic drop right yeah, there. Yeah. That's <laughs> cool. Thanks. Thank you. Bye. Should've turned on